Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you another Wednesday evening here on KKXX at Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930, where we continue our reflections into a theology of the body, in particular the love that satisfies, which, if you are a faithful listener, you know is a reflection into the thought of Benedict XVI. Essentially, what the love that satisfies is all about is a commentary where Christopher West is reflecting into the first half of Benedict's encyclical, his rich document titled God is Love. And in the first half of that document, he really focuses in on eros and agape. Once again, eros, that human erotic love, agape, that divine, sacrificial, cross-like love. And so this is what we have been about for quite some time now, and really we are uh, nearing the end, just uh, this week and next week, and we will be uh, wrapping up this book. And so I'm excited to have uh, uh, Chris Seibert back with me. I know, Chris, you were uh, out with Mono, and so it is it is great to have you back with me this evening. Oh, Joe, it's so good to be back, uh, <laughs> back in the saddle here with you, because that means that uh, Mono's on the way out, and uh, I'm back on the way in. Amen. And we also uh, send out our prayers to uh, Derek's wife. He was uh, set to join us this evening, but he had to back out last second. His wife is sick, so uh, we wish her well. So, Chris, the love that satisfies, we are in this last chapter, this journey in God's love. And what I want to do, maybe for the first quarter to half of our radio program, is uh, kind of offer up a preamble, if you will, into the pages we are going to spend uh, time with this evening, because... To really understand where Christopher West goes this evening with the pages we're going to look at, we first have to look at uh, bigger picture stuff, I think. And by that I mean going all the way back to the first chapter. That chapter, Chris, that was titled, Encountering God Who is Love. And now here we are in chapter 9, where we are called to journey in this love. And in so many ways, as, as you know, Chris, a, a teacher of literature, a teacher of English, as any good author does, he comes full circle. And, and so... What are we made to then reflect upon here? Well, first, because of our human nature, because, Chris, we are vested with the flesh, we are fickle. You know, we fall in one moment in love and the next out of love. We are one moment very content with our encounters of love and the next moment very discontent, uh, satisfied, dissatisfied. This ebb and flow of this fickleness. You know, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd because we are sheep constantly wandering and so we need to encounter God who is love so as to better understand who we are and ultimately where we are going. So to talk about God who is love is to then put this in the larger context of God's total love and God's absolute love. By total love, this is what we mean, that enough is never enough until the last drop. Uh, the question is posed, Chris, uh, you know, could Christ have saved the world with a drop of his blood. Well, he is God. Sure, he can do whatever he wants to do. So the question is, why not? Because we know he didn't. Well, scientists tell us that there's five and a half to six quarts of human blood. He didn't give a drop of blood, Chris, because there's five and a half to six quarts of human blood to give. That's total love. And that's the love that comes to us from the cross. What about this absolute love? 
Well, absolute love simply means this. There is nothing so great that we can do that is actually going to have God loving us more. There is nothing so tragic that we can do that is actually going to have God loving us less, per se. Why? Because God's love is absolute. And so what we do is we enter into this total and absolute love, and in doing so, it draws out, as we've spoken to before, Chris, I know you and Derek were with me on one occasion, this unrepeatable character that we have as Chris Seibert, as Joel Craft. No one person is the same as no one thumbprint is the same, right? This is the beauty of the call we have to encounter uh, God who is love. So would it be fair to say, Joe, we're on a communal journey, but we're also on a, a individual journey as well uh, within the context of, of who God is calling us to be? Absolutely, Chris. And by asking that question, what you're drawing out really is what the Christian faith is all about, in God for other. While we are in this journey of being in communio with one another, in communion with God, we discover the potential of the greatness of that task, of the greatness of that mission, to the degree that we discover who we are first. It could never be said enough. There are so many goods out there, and we just think, well, if it's a good thing, we need to do it, but not every good is a willed good. And so what does that mean? Well, we need to go to God in that in God moment so that within that, He might form and inform what we need to be doing as it relates to our encounters with one another and our encounters in communion with the larger body of Christ. So, very important question. And as it relates to, Chris, this, you know, this total and absolute love, I want to be clear to our listening audience, this does not mean that God's mercy is absolute in this context. There's still justice, okay? He's not saying, forget about the commandments, right? In fact, justice itself is based in love. Chris, you're a father of four kids. I have four children. And you and I both know, as all of our listeners do out there who are parents, we give consequences to our children because of our love for them. We know that uh, for one reason or another, whatever they did, uh, giving them consequences is going to get their attention. And in fact, it is a fulfillment of our love. This is why St. Thomas Aquinas says mercy itself is a kind of fulfillment to justice, because justice itself is based in love. And there's a security that uh, happens for children when they see a father uh, giving justice to, uh, let's say, a sibling, Mm. uh, and then that same justice comes to him or her. There's a security in knowing that uh, this father is going to be just. He's going to be fair. And that makes me feel like I can grab onto something, and and there's a firm foundation. Amen. That's a great point. And Chris, that sense of security is what? But an invitation, an invitation to go deeper. You know, there's an important passage for us that comes to us from Revelation 3.20. It reads as follows, "'Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door,' I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What's going on here, Chris? He's knocking at the door of our heart, right? And when we respond to his goodness, when we respond to his grace, what we are made to understand is that God is already doing something inside of us, right? So when we talk about this in God for other moment, the entering into relationship with God itself is a profound grace. A yearning to be with God is something that was initiated by God himself. 
And sometimes I think Christus can get lost a little bit. Why does Jesus say in Matthew, what, chapter 7, verse 7 and following, ask, seek, knock? Well, because we have to search him out. We have to persevere in our prayer. We have to enter into all of those important interpersonal dynamics that go with being in relationship with other. Right? God is present. But as we've talked about before, Chris, he is also hidden. He is also mystery, mystery, inexhaustible reality. So he, he makes himself present to us, but we are constantly called to quest, to go deeper. It's interesting when you say the encounter is just the fulfillment of something that has started uh, way before the encounter. His love for us has started way before our realization that he loves us. It takes me back to certain moments in my own spiritual journey where there's a timelessness mm. about this encounter where it's almost like a seamless reality that, like you said, it, it just flows and there's no sense of, well, when did it start? When did it end? Oh, it was just the fact that I got a chance to realize something that is always flowing. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of the encounter between God and Job, where you know he's asking these questions, and then finally when he's satisfied by his mere presence, God <laughs> carries on this conversation with Job, which is the longest dialogue we have in all of sacred scripture. And what does God say? He says to Job, um, Job, were you with me when I created the world, when I told the waters to stop? Were you with me when I created the sun and the moon? Were you with me? And he's on and on and on. What is, what is he doing? You haven't a clue, Job, to the bigger picture. Mm. Now, this is a man of holiness. So ultimately, what is he doing? Well, he's inviting him to go deeper. And the whole point here, Chris, as it relates to what you're just saying there is, our Lord is sovereign. He looks at our situations, and he knows what's best for us. So we ask, we seek, we knock, so as to better understand why he says sometimes, not yes, but no and not yet, because in the no and not yet, we are made to go deeper in our faith and seek to understand. And this is what Job does. You know, Chris, it's interesting, it's always to remember that Job is an orator. He is someone who's going to be asking questions. And in those questions, behind those questions are always new beginnings. And the new beginning starts when we do pull back, Chris, and we say, hey, you want to know what? God was in this moment and that moment where I least expected him to be. The bottom line is this, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to do for your salvation, I will do. And if sometimes that means sticking out my foot and having you fall, well, I'm going to do that because that's what's necessary. And Chris, who are we to be critical in some sort of objective way of the infinite wisdom and mystery of God if God is constantly revealing himself in ways that are unforeseen? This is why we need to surrender ourselves, be disposed, and adhere to the revelation that is before us so that we might in turn in and through prayer, come to understand the ways of God. You know, as you're speaking, Joe, I'm remembering going into a little church when I was 23 years old, and I had this encounter with God. I've had a few of them, you know, and our listeners out there, you know, if we have a few of those, we hold on to them so dearly. Mm -hmm. But this encounter, little church, little town, and I spent half an hour to 45 minutes in this church, and it was like I entered into this flowing river that had been mm. going for literally for 2,000 years, and I couldn't even put words to it. I have a hard time even putting words to it now, but we talk a lot about encounter in these two pages yeah. and how important that encounter is to infuse us, to understand 
how God calls us to love. And that's why I think it's so uh, amazing to think about, you know, these encounters are so that we can do the things that we're going to talk about on these pages. Yeah, amen. And so what is Christopher West talking about? What is Bennett XVI talking about? Well, what are we encountering? Again, we are encountering love, which means we are learning the language of love, not something that is overnight, but as you speak to it, Chris, something that happens over time. There's a great quote that comes to us from, well, uh, then Cardinal Carol Wojtyla, when he says this, love should be seen as something which in a sense never is, but is always only becoming. And what it becomes depends upon the contribution of both persons and the depth of their commitment. So here we have the importance of saying, once again, Chris, that love is more than just a sentiment, but it is a process. It is more than just an emotion. It is more than just, as Benedict XVI talks about it, sentimentality. I'm made to think of, oh, a, a line from one Leo Tolstoy where he's talking about these fashionable Russian ladies being moved to tears by this great theater uh, performance, while at the same time ignoring totally the freezing coachmen outside who are waiting for them. It, it's Sentimentality is emotional indulgence. Mm -hmm. And what Benedict XVI and Christopher West want us to see is that love is more than a, just a sentiment. And in light of this, we begin to appreciate that salient truth of theology of the body itself, which is this. The sexual urge is the raw material for the more authentic love to develop, and as John Paul II speaks to it in Love and Responsibility, agape in this context is Eros's finished form. I absolutely love that. Finished form. So, in light of the not is but becoming, we can appreciate the importance of what this love is all about that we're talking about, Chris this uh, sacrificial love that we're called to enter into, because it is a process. There is a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. There is never a time where we have reached the end point, if you will. So all of this is very important as we begin our discussion uh, on these pages, particularly, Chris, page 148 and 149, and I don't know if we want to get us started on that uh, excerpt. Sure. Sure. So this is um, excerpt 60 on page 148. Love of neighbor consists in the very fact that in God and with God, I love even the person whom I do not like or even know. This can only take the place, I'm sorry, this can only take place on the basis of an intimate encounter with God, an encounter which has become a communion of will, even affecting my feelings. Amen. I don't know if you've gotten this question, Chris. I certainly have gotten it a number of times. This whole loving your enemy. Christopher West posits, how can we love our enemy if we don't even love our friends first, right? But to love your enemy, are you suggesting, Jesus, that we love that person who we can't even stand? I mean, it's one thing to put up with. It's one thing to be civil. It's something entirely else to love them, to... Mm -hmm to sacrifice for them. Is this what you're saying? Well, yes, this is exactly what I'm saying. And ultimately, this is what Benedict XVI is saying here. So how do you do it? Well, the deeper you go in God, the more you are infused with a love that is not abstract, 
that is not aloof from our concrete experience, Chris, but something that is real, something that is palpable, something that is tangible. But again, this is something that takes time. And what does that mean for us? Well, to will it. When uh, we care for someone, it is not all the time, Chris, that when we wake up in the morning, we look forward to doing A, B, and C for that person. Sometimes we just do it because we know it's the right thing. All of the great saints and church fathers and doctors of the church have reminded us sometimes life is a struggle in grace where you will it, and certainly we arrive at a point in our journey of faith where, yes, we are in a deeper union with God, and then the love becomes certainly a joy. And this is so important to what what Ben the 16th and Christopher West are talking about here, because when we have arrived at that point, then, Chris, loving your enemy is possible. Here's the thing that I took from this, Joe, as I read, and I'm asking the Lord, how do I uh, will the good of someone that I can't stand, just on a personal level, in my humanity, I can't stand this person, and he said to me, bigger picture. And you had just said earlier, Joe, um, you mentioned bigger picture. It's an encounter with God as... Benedict talks to us about that encounter with God allows us to see a bigger picture, not just the here and now, mm-hmm. not just that guy that cut me off, not just my my brother who used to tease me mercifully, mm-hmm. mercif- mercilessly. Mercilessly, yeah. <laughs> Let's get that straight. <laughs> mercilessly. Gosh, Dan, if you would just tease me mercifully, I might be a different person. <laughs> no. um, but it, it's not, it's looking at okay, the here and now, I can see my, my natural humanity can't stand this person. Mm. But there's a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. There's a time where they came from and where they're going to, not just where they're at. And that's full of potential, mm-hmm. just like it was for me. Mm-hmm. For I had my encounters with God. I had my own. I still do. What are we talking about? Yeah, but, yeah. but even more so, and I was able because of God's mercy and because of his grace to see that past and where that future was leading me. So I think that's how I have to think about those people. Yeah. To see them in the context of a bigger picture as a as a brother or sister. Yeah, you use the word potential there, Chris, and that word is the one word that stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, we started with a reflection on our human nature, our very fickle nature. And part of that is we uh, expect things. But uh, what we lose sight of from time to time is what is on the other side of expectation. Expectation leads to disappointment. Disappointment breeds resentment. Oh, and that is a bad place to be in. And we've all been there. We've all been there because we are all human and we all expect. Now, why do I talk about this? Well, the word hope is about the confident assurance of what is yet unseen the potential of what is yet unseen. So when we replace expectation with hope, that moral Mm. virtue that is rooted in a living relationship with Jesus Christ, what then happens? We begin to accept the things that God brings to us, even if they don't make sense, there's no conventional wisdom to them, because ultimately, in light of faith, we see them as something that God wants, that is the circumstances that we find ourselves in, something that God desires to draw us closer to him. What do we call this? We call this a severe mercy. Mm, C.S. Lewis. Uh, Yes. Uh, C.S. Lewis and one Sheldon Vanakin, Mm. right? A severe mercy. Severe in the sense that 
uh, it hurts. It's painful. But this is part of the becoming, if you will. The becoming, if you will, because we are not going to become the person we are called to be, which never stops, if we are strained, tightened by, by our expectation. So expectation becomes that one thing that so often gets in the way, and really hope is the virtue that takes our human expectations and in God's grace shows us the bigger picture, the better way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love the, <laughs> the replacing expectation with hope. And something that uh, Christopher West talks about in this passage here, Joe, is, uh, you know, I've, talk, I've mentioned the encounter with God being so important. And what does John Paul II talk about? He says, we must have intense prayer. That's the, that's the path to this new heart that we need to understand what God is calling us to. So not just some prayer, not just mediocre prayer, not even just prayer, but intense prayer. And that made me look up the word intense. And intense, because I think about it in, in the form of an athlete, yeah. but there were some words that were given along with it. It's, it's of extreme force, degree, or strength. And then the synonyms are ardent, fervent, and yeah. fiery. Yep. Wow, those yeah. words spoke to me. Yeah, I you mean, and, and this is this not an earmark of the new evangelization, right? Ardent. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, <laughs> out from our relationship with God is that glow of fervor. So the Latin, I think, the, the intense in the Latin, intensus, means to tighten or strain, but that, in a contemporary sense, can be misinterpreted. The deeper meaning behind that is the ardor, the fervor, the glow, the being set on fire for God, essentially. And that's language right from the new evangelization, right? It is. It's, the, it's the first principle of the new evangelization because it's the place of our, in the Greek, entheos, to bear God within, our enthusiasm for God. We can be good teachers in what we say and, and how we say it, but you and I have talked about this before, Chris. The teachers that students remember are those teachers who loved what they taught, mm-hmm. bottom line. And because they loved what they taught, the students then were turned on by that subject matter and ultimately potentially fell in love with that subject matter. Well, if you take this and put it in the context of faith, well, this is why it's the first principle, mm-hmm. because people want to be inspired and uh, to be intense about what we do, to have that laser-like focus, to be so concentrated that you are actually sweating blood. When you use the word intense, I, I could not help but think, of course, of the agony in the garden. The intensity was so great that he was actually sweating blood. Now, this speaks more specifically to the intensity of his prayer, to the intensity of his focus, to the intensity of understanding, Chris, the Father's mission. God is love, and he's going to send him to the cross? Now, this is the great litmus test that is before us, because this is the love, Chris, that we encounter. This is the love that shapes and forms how we are called to, well, <laughs> love our enemy. This is such a provocative truth, because it stands before all of us, I mean, if I were to ask you the question, who is the last person you would want to love or do something for? Imagine doing something for that person. Um, this ultimately becomes one of the great barometers of our, of our Christian Catholic faith. And you brought up a, a, a great um, you know, analogy for this love, this, this agape. Uh, students want to know if, you know, they wouldn't use the term love, do you love me? But 
the old, the great truth is I don't care what you know until I know that you care. Yeah. Yeah. If that is the case, then that teacher is is living in the the agape. That's right. The agape moment because you and I both know there there are going to be students that get on your last nerve mm-hmm. and how am I going to love this student? Well, mm-hmm. I have to remember <laughs> You know the bigger picture. Yeah. Where, where is that student now? Where has he or she been? And where are they going? Replace the expectation with hope. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm also made to think of another point here as we're talking about this that Christopher West brings up. That in the Eucharist we receive Chris this incarnating love. If you actually break that word up, incarnation, incarnating that God is actually loving us. In the flesh. I had read Revelation 3.20. I want to come into you. I mean, Mm. that's some, again, provocative language. And this love, which is so important within the context of theology of of the body, is an ecstatic, Mm life-giving love. He Mm -hmm. wants to come inside of us, and this is what he does in the Eucharist, and this is an ecstatic, life-giving love. And Chris, when we abide in this love, well, what we have is a teacher, Uh, a son of God, a daughter of God, who is going to be, uh, to coin a phrase of Matthew Kelly, the best version of who God is calling them to be. And again, this is why, Chris, theology of the body always brings us back to uh, what it's all about, and that is our identity in God. You know, to, to quote Christopher West again, prayer can progress as a genuine dialogue of love to the point of rendering the person wholly possessed by the divine beloved vibrating at the spirit's touch mm-hmm. it's such a uh, an in, you know this this uh, encounter is so deep that we are vibrating with the you know the the touch of the holy spirit that's i mean that's where having been there a few times that's where i would like to be again mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know that kind of encounter so the the intensity of our prayer so that we can then be models of agape love Yeah, Chris, and there's this great line that comes to us from John Paul II where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, our Christian communities must become genuine schools of prayer until the heart truly falls in love by opening our heart to the love of God. Intense prayer, once again, also opens it to the love of our brothers and sisters. So what we have here, Chris, is an intensity of our love for our brothers and sisters that is a natural outgrowth of our intensity for God, one that is rooted in this organic relationship with the person of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, always mindful that we are already imbued with these moral virtues of faith and love, and certainly, as we've highlighted in this discussion, hope. I'm looking up at the clock here, Chris, and we're out of time. I just want to encourage our listening audience, Chris, to really spend time with theology of the body, but do so in prayer. Take theology of the body before the Blessed Sacrament. Speak to Jesus about it. Have that conversation with Jesus about it, and reflect with it. Mindful that evangelization, while it is about the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the instruction in the deposit of faith, is always first that wide-ranging commitment to reflect upon the truth of Jesus Christ in contemplation. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer here, Chris. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.